It's no secret that the highest level of MMA competition can be found within the UFC's roster, but there are of course other organizations that can hold their own when it comes to top tier talent. It is undisputed, however, that when it comes to marketing a fight, the UFC are leaps and bounds above everybody else. The promotional packages they put together in order to sell us on a story or matchup are unparalleled, but they don't always give us the whole truth. There have been more than a few cases where the narratives spun by the UFC have been somewhat inaccurate, getting us to buy into an idea that more than likely won't come to fruition. As Nick Diaz put it, they sold us wolf tickets, and here are some examples. Hello, I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and here are 10 times the UFC sold us wolf tickets. Number 10. CM Punk the concept of bringing a professional wrestler from the WWE over to compete in mixed martial arts, real fighting, is one that UFC fans are not unfamiliar with, with the arrival of Brock Lesnar heralding in an era of jacked white boys and frothing post-fight interviews. So when the UFC announced another WWE wrestler would be joining its ranks, we had no reason to not expect the same results, right? Well, enter former WWE champion CM Punk. And according to the UFC, based on the numerous promotional packages that highlighted his training, the top-level team in Rufus Sport, the constant reminders about his ability to handle large audiences and pressure, and his background in Kempo and BJJ, with the Gracies might I add, there certainly seemed to be enough to go on to expect that, hey, maybe CM Punk isn't going to be as bad as we all think. At least that's the narrative the UFC sold us. Unfortunately, in reality, a 38-year-old man with zero professional and zero amateur MMA fights competing in the UFC looks about as good as you would expect. It turns out the evolution of Punk was more like a withering, as in his UFC debut to Mickey Gall, we saw nothing of what we were promised and instead witnessed a desperate flailing attempt at striking before he was taken down, ground and pounded, and submitted. But hey, the UFC did 500,000 pay-per-views, more than any event not featuring Conor McGregor that year. Number 9. Amanda Nunes vs. Megan Anderson UFC champions often come and go, or in some cases they can reign supreme over the rest of their division, dispatching and dominating their competition. Amanda Nunes is certainly in the second category, defending her two championship belts eight times across the last five years, undefeated since 2014 and undisputably the greatest female fighter of all time. But obviously, when a new contender challenges for a belt, it's the UFC's job to sell us on the idea of the fight, to make us believe the opponent has a fighting chance against the champion. And that's exactly what they did, of course, when the new contender Megan Anderson was set to challenge Amanda. It didn't matter, Megan was only 3-2 in her UFC career, and despite Amanda's previous dominance, they made sure to highlight every variable possible within the matchup, banging the drum for Anderson's size and height at 145 pounds, the power she carried in her hands, and her jiu-jitsu credentials. It was honestly enough to have a few fans, mainly the newer ones, let's be honest, back Megan with a chance at success. However, the fight itself could not have been more one-sided, with Anderson only landing two strikes in what would be a 40-second bout, with Amanda unleashing an overhand right and finishing with a submission on the ground. The UFC had managed to fool some into believing Anderson had a chance, but upon reflection, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more dominant performance from a champion. Number 8. Habib's Retirement 
There are a number of factors that come together to determine the success of a UFC pay-per-view, the competitive nature of the matchup, a rivalry or bad blood, and sheer championship dominance all play a factor. Luckily for Habib, Namaga Madoff, he had a little of all of these things during his time as a 155-pound champion, including being part of the best-selling event of all time against Conor McGregor, generating 2.4 million buys. So when he announced his retirement from the sport following the death of his father in 2020, it was no surprise the UFC did everything they could to convince him to stay. He had many potential matchups left, was still a young man in his MMA prime, and the sales generated by a McGregor rematch could potentially be the biggest event in UFC history. It was of course no surprise then when Dana White embarked on a social media campaign to bring back the champion as he lined up interviews with Habib, drip-fed the audiences that he wasn't done just yet, teased the McGregor rematch and even super fights with GSP, and he even held up the 155-pound division by not stripping Habib of his belt. The MMA world waited with bated breath as the landscape of the lightweight division shifted around a potential Habib return. However, as it turned out, Habib had shown no interest whatsoever in returning to competition. His stance hadn't moved an inch, despite what Dana had been telling us, and he was steadfast in his decision to remain retired. We all wasted six months of our lives speculating on a future that was never apparent, and finally, the division could move on. Number 7. Nate Diaz vs Donald Cerrone Drama Sometimes in the UFC, fights speak for themselves, and other times a narrative must be generated in order to create fan interest in the service of the mighty Endeavor Gods. Before their rise to cult and crossover superstardom, the Diaz brothers seemed to be a promotional target for the UFC, with the narrative often pegging them as the bad guys. Nick, in fact, coined the phrase wolf tickets when referencing the promotional build-up to his title fight with GSP, believing the UFC were framing him as a bully. These exact words were also uttered by his brother Nate during the lead-up to his bout with Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Supposedly, Cerrone had approached Diaz backstage and after extending his hand in greeting, had it slapped away and followed with the phrase, punk-ass bitch. The UFC, of course, ran with this in the pre-fight promotion, even using it as part of the bout intro before the fight began, building the bad blood narrative between the two fighters. Nate, however, denies this ever happened, called Cerrone a liar, and stated that the UFC were making a big deal out of nothing, framing him as the bully and were, in fact, selling wolf tickets. Over a feud that didn't exist. Reality can be whatever I want. Regardless of whatever bad blood narrative the UFC created before the fight, it seemed to piss Nate off enough to flip Cerrone the middle fingers, all while unloading combinations on his face throughout the contest, so it's pretty hard to believe there wasn't some bad blood there anyway. Number 6. Tank Abbott's Return Back in the old UFC days, having a shaved head and a goatee automatically made you a better fighter. And when Tank Abbott started a trend of stretching people unconscious alongside his menacing demeanor, he quickly became an iconic figure of the UFC's early era. Abbott made his debut at UFC 6 in 1995 and would score 5 KOs and 8 wins before exiting the promotion to pursue professional wrestling three years later. But when he expressed an interest in returning to the octagon, the UFC fired up the promotional hype train around the iconic figure's re-entry into the UFC. And fire it up they did, with Abbott being billed as a UFC legend and one of the most dangerous strikers to ever grace the octagon, as well as someone from the old-school UFC days, who enjoyed fighting so much he was going to jail for it. 
Despite his hiatus, the phrase tank is back flashed across our screens to roars from the crowds expecting to see violence incarnate unleashed once more. Unfortunately, all should have known better as Tank would go on to make three appearances in 2003, losing every one of them by stoppage in the first round. Fans couldn't believe the warrior the UFC had promised had not appeared, and instead in his place was a near 40-year-old five-year removed cage fighter. Number 5. John Jones vs. Chael Sonnen At a certain point in his mixed martial arts career, Chael Sonnen seemed to have an ability to talk his way into anything. After dramatically losing his second title shot against Anderson Silva, the MMA world was surprised to hear that he wouldn't be thrust back into the UFC's ladder and have to forcibly climb his way back to the top. He would instead be given another title shot, this time up another weight class and against none other than John Jones. Now, there is a little bit more to the story than that. John Jones was scheduled to fight Dan Henderson at UFC 151. Dan got injured and Chael jumped at the chance to fill in on short notice. Notoriously, John, however, turned the fight down and the whole event was cancelled. So, an Ultimate Fighter season was created and John told us that Dana White had let him know how excited the fans were for this matchup and the backstory behind it. Of course, Chael ran his shtick, claiming to be the best MMA wrestler in the world, a two-time national champion, and could take down Jones anytime he wanted. The UFC lapped it all up and were banking on the storyline that Jones turned down the fight the first time and that Chael's ground game could pose problems for the champion, despite the size, weight, skill, IQ, and range of techniques John had at his advantage. So guess how the fight played out? Yeah, complete one-sided domination. John scored three takedowns, four minutes of top control, and pounded out Sonnen without breaking a sweat, although he did break a toe, and Chael only landed six strikes in the bout. Chael is a persuasive man, and when combined with the UFC hype train, it's no wonder we thought he had a shot. Number 4. Dana White vs. Illegal Streamers the UFC pay-per-view events typically range from $50 to $100, depending on the star power present at the top of the bill. Unfortunately, however, not all fans of the sport are able to keep up with the pay-per-view model and are often instead forced to dabble in online piracy to satisfy their violent urges. This, of course, means visiting some illegal online streams where the fights can be watched for free. Free, you say? Now, that's a word that has often rubied up the face of Uncle Dana and sent steam shooting from his ears. So, Dana decided to embark on a campaign to shut down these illegal streamers, stating at the UFC 257 press conference that he was on a mission and that he'd got one daring the streamer to go live that night because him and the UFC legal team would be ready and waiting like Elmer J. Fudd outside of a rabbit hole. Of course, we all know that it's going to take more than eliminating one streamer to shut down ye olde pirate bay, but Dana was clearly using it as a scare tactic to deter anyone else from taking part in illegal activity. Apparently, it worked, as at UFC 258, he stated the streamer didn't go live and broadcast the event. A small victory, I'm sure. Regardless, cracking down on the illegal streams is no small task, and although I'm sure Dana White and the team are finding ways to do this, I don't think many in the MMA community believe him when he says, That's fucking illegal. Number 3. Daniel Cormier vs. Patrick Cummins when an opponent falls out, it can often be a scramble to find a short-notice replacement, especially one that is around the same skill level or, more importantly, one who can sell the fight. 
If you didn't know, Daniel Cormier made his UFC debut in the heavyweight division, coming off the back of winning the Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix and then winning two fights in the UFC before deciding that 205 would make a better home for him. Unfortunately, his scheduled opponent Rashad Evans pulled out of the fight and the UFC were desperate for a replacement. They found Patrick Cummins. Sure, he was only 3-0 professionally and had never fought inside the UFC, but more importantly, there was some bad blood between himself and Cormier, or at least that's what Cummins tried to create. The UFC pre-fight build-up focused on how he had made DC cry during wrestling training for the Olympics and that Cummins broke him every time they stepped onto the mats. Suddenly, the intrigue behind this matchup with an unknown UFC prospect grew as DC had looked nothing but dominant up until that point. This alongside the weight cut questions piqued fans' interest. The UFC had done a great job creating enough variables for our eyes to be drawn to the contest. What actually happened though should have been pretty obvious as a 13-0 Daniel Cormier ran through Cummins in just one minute, TK owing him with ease with Patrick only landing eight strikes. Damn it UFC, you did it again! We ignored all the logic in front of us and suspended our belief at the painfully obvious notion that DC was just that good. Number 2. Ben Askren's UFC Career Certain victories ascend fighters to new levels, whether that is competitively or commercially, and we've used Jorge Masvidal's 5-second KO of Askren to expand and explain this and many other points across this channel's videos. But when talking about Wolf tickets, it's pretty obvious that Askren was outmatched against Masvidal, in fact, against all of his UFC competition. So let's start there. His first win in the UFC was controversial. Robbie Lawler slammed Askren into the earth in his UFC debut and unloaded ground and pound onto his chin, all before Ben found a scramble and a bulldog choke which forced the ref to stop the bout, before Lawler had even tapped or possibly even been unconscious. Despite this, however, he was given the Masvidal fight. Let us not forget the three-piece and a soda incident backstage between Masvidal and Leon Edwards, where an altercation took place with Jorge sucker punching Leon. Not only was Leon probably more deserving of the Jorge fight, but there was also beef. Still, Ben got the Masvidal fight, and of course, let us not forget that Ben was traded for the UFC's longest ever reigning champion, so you'd expect his career to be a somewhat success. Unfortunately, this didn't go as planned, and despite all this, the UFC announced, hyped, and got us all invested in a bout with Jorge Masvidal. What happened? Well, five seconds later, it was over, and it's no doubt that Ben's UFC career was oversold to us all, as he failed to live up to fan expectation time and time again. We still bought those fights, though. Number one. Gracie vs. Hughes Following the first ever UFC event and the attempt to discover what was the ultimate martial art to trump all others, one thing was clear. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was the shit. And who was the man championing its rise? None other than Hoist Gracie, of course, who went 11-0 across the first four UFC events. Flash forward 12 years later, yes, I said 12 years, and Matt Hughes is a dominant UFC champion. Clearly, the struggle to find him competition is real, and so the UFC decide to bring back the original legend himself and give him a crack at the champion. Yes, I know how crazy that sounds. 12 years of evolution in the sport, not to mention the age of Gracie, but nonetheless, the fight was made, and Gracie was marketed as the original UFC champion, jiu-jitsu master in a bout against a wrestler. They 
Dana even did a special announcement live from inside the octagon, calling the bout a mega fight and hoist Gracie, the greatest fighter to ever step into the octagon. Of course, he had a chance, right? Wrong. In what is quite possibly the most one-sided championship fight of all time, Hughes destroyed the aging former champion, connecting on the feet, taking him down, almost snapping his arm with a Kimura before flattening him out and unloading ground and pound. The UFC had billed the contest as a matchup between two of the greatest to ever do it, a mega fight for the ages to decide the welterweight goat. In reality, it was a one-sided beatdown, and it didn't look like Gracie belonged in there for a second with the current champion. Smells like wolf tickets to me. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool2me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.